Now, it's time for the real Monica Adams show. you along. If you're brand new to my show, it's all about positivity. You know, years ago, I started the Triangle of Life Theory, and it has to do with mental, physical, and spiritual health. What is that? 33 and a third percent of each one of them makes up 100 percent of the balance of life. And day in and day out, if you practice that, your life becomes more of that for you and for those around you. Every day, Monday through Friday at 7 a.m., I host a show on Facebook and on YouTube that you can watch and you can listen and you can receive the message. And hopefully it takes you on that path and that journey that you've been seeking. Every Thursday, we then drop a new episode on all of the audio podcast platforms so you can watch and you can see and it can start to change your life. I'm thrilled to have you on board. Please share the message that we're here for you and I hope you enjoy today's episode. Do you remember Chris Draft? He's been in the NFL for years. He played with the St. Louis Rams for a stint of his career. We'll talk about that. We're going to talk about the White Ribbon Project. We're going to talk about lung cancer, and we're going to go deep into the fact that for many, many years, and I think maybe even still today, a lot of you think lung cancer Oh, it was a smoker. No, we've got to release that mindset. We've got to get rid of that stigma. And I want you to understand that any one of you listening, and I know you don't want to hear this, but any one of you could get lung cancer and you never smoked. Maybe you were never around it. Maybe you were an incredible athlete like Chris was. Maybe you were an amazing human being that said, I don't want that coming into my life. Well, you know what? We don't have control over it. But what can we do as a community? What can we do? That's the one thing that Chris wants to talk about today. We're going to enjoy the time that we had him on the greatest show on turf. He was part of that amazing team that we had here, the St. Louis Rams. We'll talk about his career. We'll talk about what he's doing now. Last time he's been in St. Louis, all those wonderful things. We'll run through where he was before he came to the Rams and where he had wrapped up and what he's doing today. So Chris is my guest today. I want to welcome each and every one of you. Again, if you are brand new to the show, let me know how you found us. Was it organic? Did someone introduce you to us? We'll tell them thank you and then do your part and please share and like and follow our live stream Monday through Friday, 7 a.m. on YouTube and on Facebook. And then of course, on Thursdays, we drop a new audio podcast. We're going to bring an old friend on. I haven't seen him in years. You haven't maybe seen him either. And since his playing days, what has he been doing? NFL star Chris Draft, our guest. You may remember him. Let me just kind of run through. He played for the Bears, the 49ers, the Falcons, the Panthers, the St. Louis Rams, the Buffalo Bills, and at the time, they were called the Washington Redskins. And today, he's right here with us. Good morning, Chris Draft. Good morning. How, How are, are you doing? How are you, my friend? I'm doing well. 
Uh, it is so good to see you. I have to thank Marty Henley. Now, Marty was a prior guest of our show. That one was organic, by the way, Chris. My friend Michelle just was sitting around and talking to her while they were in Cabo San Lucas and just drummed up this conversation. And they both just kind of just said, wow, what a human, great, great human being. Marty asked what my friend did. And she said she worked for the show. And Marty's like, I should be a guest. And she said, well, what's your story? And she goes, well, I'm just a stage four lung cancer survivor. And she's like, oh my gosh, like you've got a story to tell. <laughs> Incredible human being. How did the two yes. of you know each other? Well, I, I tell you, as, as a lung cancer advocate, uh, I'm, I'm meeting survivors all the time. And, uh, you know, the, the, the key is is really creating uh, a, a locker room, you know. Uh, uh, so I have to go out and find survivors and, and yeah, that not only are survivors, but are advocates. So, you know, Marty being willing to share her story and even in Cabo San Lucas, that tells you who she is. And it, 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 it says we need people that are willing to stand up and share if we want people to be more aware of what's going on. We can't just, you know, expect them to know it. They have, we have to be able to tell them and educate. Absolutely. Well, I'm so glad that the two of you had a chance to meet. And I'm so glad that she reintroduced us because I haven't seen you for years. We're going to talk about the White Ribbon Project. We're going to talk about your beautiful wife. And we're going to talk about where you are today in the advocacy for all of us to understand that any one of us at any point... <laughs> can get lung cancer, which I know is alarming to hear. But let's go back. So you were at Stanford, right? Went to Stanford, yes. Yes, yes. and then you got into the NFL. You played for the Bears first. And then you came to us after the Panthers and played for the St. Louis Rams. Can we just talk about those days? I mean, yes. we miss having an NFL team here so bad. Well, I, 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 I know it is uh... – you know, I, I grew up in Anaheim. So before I went to Stanford, I, I grew up in Anaheim. And so uh, Anaheim was where the Rams were before they went to St. Louis. Right. So yeah. uh, there were a lot of people there that were that were sad that the, that the Rams had went to St. Louis. But it was an amazing opportunity. And I, I think, uh, you know, the, the the dome and the facility, all those things were were top notch and were the best in the league when, when the Rams first went there in 1995. It just, uh, you know, this game's a business and it evolves. And so... Uh, you know, that point where, you know, Georgia passed away and, and her kids took over and, and uh, for them, they couldn't, they couldn't hold on to the team. They, you know, they did not want to run an NFL franchise, uh, nor did they really have the money and, and just the bandwidth to really do that. Uh, so they were looking for another owner. And uh, unfortunately with that, that meant that Stan Kroenke ended up being the guy. And, and uh, that name. <laughs> I know it's, it's hard. He's a Missouri guy and that's, that's yeah. hard, but it's just, it's a business. So, well, I'll tell you is again, I, I, I loved my time there in St. Louis, uh, not just playing, um, you know, again, this amazing, you know, environment that is uh, Edward Jones Dome, uh, a place that I knew too well before that when it was the TWO, uh, <laughs> and that place would get so loud. Uh, but just, uh, you know, enjoyed myself, you enjoy my time there uh, representing the Rams, which, uh, you know, was the team that I grew up right by in Anaheim, the blue and gold that I wore as a high school, you know, my, my elementary school, junior high and high school were blue and gold. So it was only natural that at some point that I would become a Ram. Well, I, of course, had to represent blue today. I was going to wear white for you for the White Ribbon Project. I was like, well, I'll put blue on. We'll remember those days. I mean, really, I was so blessed to cover sports for 12 years. I covered the Rams when they won the Super Bowl, which is one of my favorite points of my career, which was absolutely amazing. But even the years thereafter, you had some of the classiest players that you were around on that field. Do you not agree? 
Absolutely. Absolutely. I actually got a chance to hang out with a, a couple of those guys, uh, Isaac Bruce and, and, yes. and Tori Holt uh, and, and Mike Jones recently uh, when uh, Dick Vermeil uh, was uh, inducted. You know, he, 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 he got put in the Hall of Fame. And so he actually gave uh, his like halftime speech uh, uh, a few weeks back when we had some of the legends uh, at the game in, in L.A. But you know, just so great to catch up with those guys. I mean, they, you know, they're amazing players. I mean, absolutely to be a Hall of Famer. Top Tory will probably go in this year. Isaac is already in. You know, Big O, Orlando Pace. I mean, just amazing guys. Kurt Warner, Marshall Falk, uh, Steve ja Stephen Jackson. Man, these these are, you know, they're they're not just amazing players. I mean, we're or we're amazing players. They're they're amazing men. Absolutely. I actually had a chance to see Isaac at his big fundraiser that he does, his gridiron event. Uh, Mike Jones and I have been friends for a long time. Mike and, and Isaac both wanting to come on this show in the very near future. I can't wait to revisit and, and talk about those wonderful times. We wanted to revisit the wonderful days. Now, your end of the NFL side and then really yep. going deep into the advocacy was with Washington. You were signed yep. with them at least in what, just a few months? Yeah, really, just a few months and you know. So I was there for an off season in training camp and and got released. It was my it was my thirteenth year. And I, you know, I tell people that you know, there's a point where your body tells you it, it, it's time, right? As much as you want, I mean, you know, everybody's like, "Oh, I bet you wish you wanted to play longer." And it's like, well, you can want to all day, uh, but there's a point where your body is like, mm, no, right? And so, yeah, again, it was my 13th year. To, you know, what a blessing, blessing to play 12 years, blessing to even have that time with with, with the Washington Redskins, now the Washington Commanders. Uh, and, and and what it did is it set up this uh, this blessing of of being at home. And I know this, you know, what we're going to talk about, what is this transition out of the NFL? It set up this, you know, this unfortunate moment. You know, it, it, it seemed at the time that I was home during Thanksgiving, that I was home during Christmas, which had, had never happened before. Uh, because in playing, you're always either playing or practicing on Thanksgiving. Christmas is, there's always something going on. And But that year, um, it wasn't. And that year is when my, my wife, Keisha, got diagnosed with lung cancer. And so uh, December of twenty of 2010, I was at home and she had a, a little shortness of breath, uh, went into her primary care doc and, and got checked out. He, he, uh, gave her some antibiotics, but said, let's just get a chest X-ray. And from that chest X-ray, you found out she had a master left lung. I mean, she's 37 years old. You can see her in amazing shape, but no smoking history. And, and I mean, just a picture of health. She's challenging me to do P90X and run a 10 K race. And next thing you know, uh, a master left lung, uh, which before Christmas, it was the possibility of lung cancer. Two days after Christmas, December 27, 2010, we confirmed through a biopsy lung cancer. And we found out the most important fact, which you've talked about, that anyone can get lung cancer. Uh, first week in January, it's almost to that date, about January 8th, we confirmed uh, that it was stage four lung cancer after a PET scan. So, uh, my transition, they asked me, what was my transition from the NFL? That was my transition. It was like, oh, my goodness, I wish I could play. I'm done. Mm -hmm. My wife is sick. I'm here with her. Unbelievable. We're talking about the story of Chris Draft's wife, Keisha. He meets her, the love of his life. She's in incredible shape. She was a, she was a professional dancer, right, Chris? 
She danced for the Charlotte Hornets. Yes, she did. Wow. But she's a, uh, she graduated as electrical engineer at Clemson. So, oh. you know, you, you don't get paid a whole bunch as, as a as a as a dancer in the, in the NBA. So, want to make sure that she was a electrical engineer and then then became pharmaceutical sales. And while she was doing that, then she danced with the Charlotte Hornets. But that was before I met her. I'll tell you that before I met her. So the story wasn't that I was at a game and I was like, "Oh my goodness!" <laughs> no, she she was down dancing at, at that time. Incredible woman and young and in shape and brilliant, intelligent, had so much vibrance and going for it. Obviously, you fall in love with her. A beautiful, beautiful woman. And you're going through and talking about the levels of what the two of you go through when that announcement comes in. Tell me what went through both of your minds when she thinks she just had shortness of breath. And I know yeah. that you get across to not dismiss that. Thankfully, she didn't. Well, she had a you know, again, great relationship with her body and a great relationship with her primary care doc. So uh, when somebody asked, they said, well, did she have, you know, symptoms for a while? And I said, no, she didn't. She had a little shortness of breath where uh, she looked at me. And she said, I, I might need to use your inhaler. <laughs> right? like it, we, she was still breathing better than me, uh, but she knew for herself that there was something that was different. And so I, I tell people that it's important that you're honest about your body. You know your body. You know you've you've talked about people getting up and and, and embracing this physical aspect of of their bodies right now. And but when when you do that, now you know yourself. And so she knew that there was something that was wrong, and uh, called up a primary care doc and said, "I need to come in." And she had a great relationship with him because. Uh, pharmaceutical sales. They were good. You know, they were just good friends anyway. Uh, and so she was honest about what was going on. And then as a doc, he was, he really listened to what she said. And so it was, let's just get a chest x-ray. Let's just make sure. And came back and master left lung. Unbelievable. And just the levels of, you know, just the word cancer alone, right, Chris? People hate that word. You don't want to hear that you or anyone that you love has it. So let's split the two of you. Let's talk about what goes through Keisha's mind. Then let's talk about where you go, because that's the biggest thing. It's the support system. Does the support person freak out? Then what level does that do to the mental health and the spiritual health of the person yeah. going through it, right? So break that down for us. Yeah, well, again, I'll say that my, my wife did an amazing job of sustaining present. Uh, again, you know, first of all, be, again, being honest about that there was something that was wrong going and getting checked out. And then and then she had an amazing team. I mean, I, you know, I, I I talked about this very often. It, she didn't have to fight for her diagnosis as much as just be honest about her diagnosis. And so her primary care doc, once we found out there was a mass, he's the one that set up uh, the biopsy a couple of days after Christmas. So, you know, you think of this, this time where people are on vacation and all these things, but she had people that had urgency in her corner. So two days, you know, two days after uh, Christmas, we find out, you know, that with the biopsy, it's cancer, you know, before, you know, New Year's Eve, basically, you were getting a PET scan uh, to find out if it's spread, find out the first week of, of, of June at this initial appointment at Emory uh, here in Atlanta that it had spread. A couple of days later, we found that it spread to her brain. And I, and so I, I would say the, the biggest thing that my wife did was just lean in on the process and saying that we just have to find out, right? Instead of freaking out and just being mad and, oh my goodness, this is terrible, which you know is definitely in there. And instead really leaning into the fact of knowing that we needed to find out all the information so that we can 
you know, make sure we get to the right place. Uh, make sure we know that she can find out exactly what's going on. So then we can put together a game plan. Absolutely. So you go through the diagnosis, you hear that, and this is 2010, you go through the levels of the fact that it's at stage four already. So what what is the treatment that they go through with her? Because there's not a long time from her diagnosis to the end for her. It's it's not, but uh, you know, January 2011, that's really kind of you know, where the journey, when we first, you know, finally got the diagnosis. But uh, biomarker testing is a critical component of, of treatment now. And at that moment, they, they, they understood it. It was our, it was, it was ready then where there was a possibility of being on targeted therapy. And so she was a test. She was tested right away to see if she could go on this target therapy treatment that would have been pills. Uh, and some of those people now that are on those pills, they're living six, seven, eight, nine years. And so uh, potentially if she was able to be on those particular, uh, you know, those particular drugs, she, she might still be here now. Uh-huh. Uh, but that's the hope. That was the hope that was there. And so they tested for it. Unfortunately, she was negative. So she ended up on chemo and, and, and with some radiation. Um, and you know, certain people respond a little bit better. Uh, you know, unfortunately for her, uh, you know, she responded as well as she could. Uh, and uh, she ended up passing uh, a year later, December 27, 2011. Well, and the two of you got married, and exactly a month later, she passed, right, Chris? She did. She did. So, you know, before, you know, so before she, before she passed, we had a chance to get married. I mean, you know, I, and before that day, she, you know, she came to me, she said, what if we don't get presents? What if we ask our family and friends to uh, stand with us in, in fighting for the lung cancer community? And uh, in that, in, in that, instance, I mean, she transitioned from a person that was fighting for herself, uh, and, and which is, which is, you know, important, uh, to saying that, you know, let's fight for the lung cancer community. And I said, absolutely. I I'm, I'm with you. And so on our wedding day, we, we made two commitments and one of them to each other, uh, you know, really validate, you know, validating that. And, and then the other one to the lung cancer community. So it wasn't, you know, it's not just, her, you know, <laughs> so, so often people say that I can, you know, started something after she passed a, a commitment after she passed, rather than giving her the credit that said that when she wasn't feeling well, that she could still choose to fight for other people. And more importantly, she could choose it because she understood it was bigger than her. Yes. It wasn't I- her fight. It was a fight where she's choosing to be a part of a team and then she's inviting the family and friends to join in on this team that is fighting for other survivors. Well, and she cho- she had the choice to say I want to be able to make an impact moving forward for all of those that in the future would be getting this diagnosis. What can she do? How can she start the community? I listened to a TEDx talk that Chris did. Was that just about a month, a month ago, the Berkshires TEDx talk? It, it was shot earlier, but it actually came out about a month ago. Yes. And boy, let me tell you, my friend, very impactful. It's what, maybe 16 minutes, but you are on the edge of your seat just listening to this wonderful man deliver this message, talk about his, uh, her life, and continue to stress that anyone, anyone listening right now, and please 
again, share and like and follow the stream. And as you start to reach more and more people, you start to have everyone say, well, how? How me? I'm going to take a break. And I want to talk, Chris, about the the mindset and the stigma sure. that's out there of thinking, oh, gosh, lung cancer. They must have been a smoker, right? Immediately that goes into the mindset. We're going to address that more with Chris Draft when we return. Think about this. When's the last time you called your doctor at two o'clock in the morning and he actually answered? Well, at Innovare Health Advocates, their patients are special. Their doctors, nurse practitioners, their care team care deeply about your health, your family, your work, and even your pet. Their clinicians are accessible and they lead your care in and out of the hospital. In fact, Dr. Charles Willie offers his cell phone number to his patients to ensure they can intervene early in your illness. They can provide care above and beyond, offering lab, x-ray, echocardiogram, and other treatments in their office. Innovare Health Advocates, with five locations on both sides of the river. Check them out, InnovareHealth.com. Hi, it's Monica Adams. Thank you so much for following along with The Real Monica Adams Show since we launched back in March. But I wanted to let you know there's so much more that I could do with you, your business, your corporation. Did you know that I'm a motivational speaker all around the world, as well as an MC and an auctioneer? So if you have an event, maybe a nonprofit organization, and you want to book me, just shoot me an email, info at therealmonicaadams.com. Personal training, life coaching, and styling as well. Info at therealmonicaadams.com. Welcome back. I'm here at home and we are visiting with our wonderful friend, Chris Strauss, former NFL. And again, as we had mentioned, former St. Louis Ram, which we loved on the days that he was here. We'll talk a little bit more about that in just a moment. But we're talking about lung cancer. We're talking about the White Ribbon Project, which, by the way, for those that don't know about that, Chris, can you do me a favor and break down the White Ribbon Project a little bit for us? Yeah, so uh, the White Room Project was actually uh, founded by a, a survivor in Denver, Colorado, right outside Denver, Colorado, Greenwood Village, uh, Heidi and her husband, Pierre Honda. And they, they founded it, not that they just wanted to make this big white ribbon, but uh, they, they founded it when you know Heidi had, with other local survivors, had engaged the local cancer center and said, what is your plan for Lung Cancer Awareness Month in, in 2020? And and I had been sharing with her and other survivors before that, that the, that the lack of awareness was really based on our lack as a community of sharing, of, 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 of having a plan for educating the public. And, and so in those interactions with, C, you know, with the local cancer center, I could say CU, uh, but uh, they didn't really have a plan. Uh, and that was in 2020. And, and there was a point, September 27th, uh, 2020, where uh, Heidi said, well, if you don't have a plan, uh, that can't stop us. So she she looked to her husband, Pierre, and said, can you make me a big white ribbon that I can put on the door and made out of wood that will last so that we don't have to wait. We don't have to wait for somebody else to, to raise the awareness. We can do it. And then she challenged the other survivors locally, uh, not to make a big white ribbon at that time, but really just to, to be vocal and wrap a ribbon around their trees and just share their stories. Uh, but the other survivor said, uh, can we get one of those ribbons <laughs> that, that your husband made? And, 
And because they are just extremely nice people, they said, yes, uh, we'll, we'll do that. Uh, but next thing you know, <laughs> a, a whole bunch of people wanted them. And uh, now they're in over 30 countries. Uh, and, and the key is that they, they're made with love. Pierre made that ribbon with love at a point where Heidi needed to know that she was supported. And then it gave control, you know, control in a way that said, if this matters, if it's urgent, that we can't wait. Yeah. You know, somebody else might have their plan. This person has their plan. But if you're fighting for your life, this is urgent. This is daily. And what the ribbon allows you to do is to basically show up and be an advocate whenever you want to. Whenever you want to hold up this ribbon, you can. And you can let people know and educate them, knowing that no one person is going to be able to do it all by themselves. So it's a collective of people, mm. a team of people uh, that make it happen. Just like you saw on you know, all of you athletes are out there. We can't do it alone. And if you ever yeah. have a mindset of I, 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 the entire team, the coaching staff, everybody on the sidelines will laugh at that. Because if we all disappeared and you tried to go at it alone, watch what happens. So it takes a team. You know, you talk, you're talking about the wonderful medical team that took care of Keisha uh, during all the fight that she had and the two of you together. We mentioned Chris going into the break, which I really want you to listen to what he has to say after this. Talk about, as an advocate, the biggest message you want to get across to people with regards to, one, that any of us can get it, and two, that it is not related to people smoking all the time, a lot of times. So, uh, yeah, let me say this. Anyone can get lung cancer. My wife is absolutely an example of that, that anyone can get it uh, flat out. But but the other side that is that's critical that people understand is that in 1998, the cigarette industry got indicted for over $200 billion and literally said that the cigarette industry targeted people, went after people. And so it is definite that there's a connection with smoking, that that is the, the highest risk factor. But more importantly, don't blame that person. We've already blamed the cigarette industry. We already indicted the cigarette industry. So regardless, if you have a smoking history or you don't, there should be no blame. There should be no shame in getting it, only that we are here to support you. So anyone can get it, yes, but that doesn't mean that we blame somebody that has a smoking history, but rather realize that, again, we've already proved that they were victims of this industry, mm -hmm. right? And so the other side of saying that there's a stigma, only the connection with smoking, I want to address that and say that that's not really, when we say that, it's not as much just stigma as much as just education, Right. Is that that's all we told you. So if somebody says, well, did you smoke as their initial answer or initial question to someone who has lung cancer? Well, that's because that's all they were taught. Yeah. So that's been the commitment from the beginning when when my wife was, you know, started out and and and, and when we embraced advocacy was just to tell the truth yeah. and acknowledge the truth. The truth is historically, that's what we told people at American Cancer Society. When I went and met with them in March of uh, March 24, 2011. The first thing they said to me when the commissioner set up my up the meeting for me to go over to American Cancer Society, they said, "Great American Smoker." Yeah. <laughs> right. So my wife didn't have a smoking history, but she's diagnosed with lung cancer, and so they're saying, "Great American Smoker." That was all they said, and so right. it's it's not surprising that the people only say that, and so that's part of the you know this, this big mission of the White Ribbon Project. And the mission of, you know, before that, the Chris Draft Family Foundation and Team Draft was really to change the face of lung cancer or change the public perception as it relates to the White Ribbon Project. And that is by just, again, changing the truth. Yep. Is that historically we told people only the connection with smoking, 
right? Now it's important for us to change that message. It has been that, yes, if you have a smoking history, that raises your risk factor, but we care about you. Radon is another thing that increases your risk factor. And then regardless of how you get it, you know what? We got to take care of you. Yes. You matter. You are not alone and there is hope. I love that. And, you know, you ever since she passed, have just been on a mission and you have been traveling all over. You know, you're talking about the American Cancer Society, but the American Lung Association, you know, asthma, these these climbs, these, these walks that people do. What is the biggest question or the biggest aha moment that people get from you when you speak? Well, I, I think, you know, the biggest aha is that anyone can get it. Absolutely. Uh, the, the second is, too often it's diagnosed late stage. So from the public, that's the biggest aha. Mm -hmm. uh, but internally from the community, the biggest aha is that we can do something about it, yeah. right? Is that too often when we talk about stigma, that our community, lung cancer community, makes it seem like somebody did it to us. And, and I'm, you know, I'm telling them constantly, no, that was our message. That was our belief as a community that, all we can really do is get people to stop smoking and really just have, you know, it be preventative. So air quality, workplace conditions, that was the mission. That was the commitment. And so it's up to us as a community to change it where it's not just prevention, but really prevention, early detection, treatment, research and survivorship. Yeah. And that's, again, that's not something from outside. That's something that is from inside. That is the commitment of our community. And, and that's what, again, what these ribbons are about is your commitment. That's what my wife committed to in, in fighting for other survivors. Uh, but that's not something that is one person, two people, three people. That's a community that has to say that, you know what, what we were before was a commitment to prevention. But now, now we are committed completely to survivorship and not just in certain cities, not just in certain areas, but we are committed across the nation and ideally across the world. We all have to come together. That's the biggest thing, right? Well, Chris, this show is all about what can we do when we hear things that are horrible going on in the world? What can we do as a human being to make an impact? And it's really to open up, get out of your own way and say, this is going on. All right, how can I help out? For all of you that when you hear that, you think, gosh, I... I did. I mean, how many of you admit it? Just say, yes, Monica, I'm one of them. But if you hear that someone has lung cancer right away, your mindset is, oh, they must have been a smoker or, or they must have been around smoking, secondhand smoke, things like that. Um, let's address the younger generation here for a second, Chris. How much does vaping play in... You know, I know there's more and more that the lung cancers, uh, you know, community, American Lung Association, American Cancer mm -hmm. are trying to get across what vaping does. Can you go into that? Uh, well, I'll, I'll basically just say that in, in with, with vaping, that that the vaping industry is basically dusted off the same playbook as the, the cigarette industry. Yeah. Um, and that is a targeting our young people. And, and so, I, again, I, I want to, to emphasize that, you know, when we think that somebody must have smoked you know, I, I want you to think not to, to demonize that person, but really just acknowledge that that's what we were taught the connection with smoking. But, but the reality is again, when in 1998, when the cigarette industry was indicted, it was in, they were indicted because they went after young people the same way as vaping, you know, bubble gum flavor vapes. I mean, that's not for a grown man. That is for a middle schooler, right? If you ask people when they started to smoke, I was with 
with a, a group uh, at a, a health center here in, in, in Atlanta. And I and there were a couple of ladies that were former smokers. All right. And they and they and they said, uh, you know, yeah, you know, it, we were able you know, we both stopped and they, and they were almost embarrassed about being able to share. And I said, but when did you start? I said, was it 13? And one of them said, no, it was 11. Oh. And the other one said 12. And I said, that makes all the sense in the world. And, and then they, and they said that they stopped and they, and they, they looked like that they were a little bit ashamed of them stopping. And I said, hold up, let me tell you this. If the cigarette industry got indicted for over $200 billion, let me tell you that for you to stop smoking, we have proved that, that smoking, the addiction is on par with, with, with cocaine and heroin. So the cigarettes are as uh, addictive as, uh, or more addicting than cocaine and heroin. So when when somebody is able to stop, we need to celebrate that. Uh, we we have to celebrate it. And then the other person, the person who is struggling with stopping, uh, we have to know that it's not them individually being weak. Uh, that they need their they need support. I mean, this is going to be one of the greatest accomplishments they have in their lives. And and then as I reference again in 1998, they we we proved that that the cigarette industry went after people. Right. They went after young people. And so it's critical that we again, we rally around our young people in terms of vaping and, and make sure that there are restrictions as much as possible so that they are not starting as early if that's something that they want to do. Uh, and, and making sure that this, you know, that they aren't able to go after our kids. I mean, I, again, that that's what's happened. They've, they've targeted these young people and and we know that it can be crazy addictive. Absolutely. I have a current life coaching client that just turned 21 and her mother, I actually am coaching both she and her mother. And they both came to me and said, yeah, I'm so afraid that the younger one, who I believe is 12, that she got a hold of her older sister vaping. And, and, uh, you know, the mom obviously got very frustrated and she's like, why would you have given that to her? And she said, I didn't, I was away at college. She somehow found something that was old and they're intrigued by it. It's exciting. They see it out there. That's the really the big aspect of the marketing yep. is that they make it look like it's sexy. It's exciting. Yep. It's something you want to try. Again, that's, it's important that we, we see history. I mean, I, I, you know, you know, unfortunately it doesn't take much of a, of a, a, a Google search and you can see that doctors promote this kind of cigarettes. Uh, nurses say these type of cigarettes, athletes were promoting Chesterfields and other ones. Virginia Slims was the title sponsor of, of, of tennis, of the Women's Tennis Association for the longest time. And so, you know, again, historically, you, you put people, influential people as, as, as spokesmen or salespeople, influencers, uh, and it's critical that we, uh, we recognize that and, and create restrictions and alternatives uh, that help in kind of dissuading those habits. So we've been talking about you being an advocate, again, traveling the world, speaking, and really getting the awareness out there. That the cancer survivors, we're, we're connected in, the, in that the, what we want for lung cancer is not different than, than other cancers. We want survivorship as our goal on the top right. And, and she is a, uh, a news, you know, she was a news anchor uh, that, that got diagnosed with lung cancer. Again, anyone can get lung cancer. You see the Patty, I think she's just celebrated over 10 years of survivorship. Uh-huh. Amazing, amazing fighter that is, that uh, challenged American Cancer Society a number of times to make it very clear that survivorship is the goal. Not that we just, you know, that we're not just emphasizing prevention, but that survivorship is the goal. And then you see, uh, 
three other survivors. Steve Atwater, who's a Hall of Famer, played with the Denver Broncos. And again, it's just this reminder that, uh, and one of the ladies was from, from Canada, that this is an international movement and that there are people that don't have to have a direct connection with, with lung cancer that are willing to stand with us. Hall of Famers that are willing to stand with us. But it's it's critical that we believe, do we as a group want survivorship to be the goal? Are we willing to stand up and fight for that every day? Because if we do, and if we, we are, are that there's so many amazing people in this country and outside this country that are willing to stand with us. Can you talk about, as an athlete, what you have seen the major organizations do when it comes to lung cancer and other aspects of cancer? What did you see the NFL do and step up for you? Well, I would say, you know, from the beginning, Roger Goodell was was supportive. Uh, you know, right after my wife was diagnosed, he said, what do you need? And I said, well, she has an amazing medical team, and that's a blessing. Uh, uh, she wanted to go to the Super Bowl. So I said, okay, it's, we want to go to the Super Bowl. But the other one was they get uh, an introduction to American Cancer Society. And so the I say the NFL has been uh, amazingly supportive, but it's because their their business is also in alignment with supporting. Right. And so uh, in 2016, they announced the crucial catch would go to an all cancer initiative uh, where from the NFL national level, lung cancer is a part of that. But locally, every team has a marketing partner. And so, you know, that marketing partner being a health health center, a, a cancer center. So as long as the cancer center has won it, as long as they believe that lung cancer awareness matters and that the survivors matter, that research matters, that from the beginning, it wasn't so much that the commissioner or the NFL even had the support as much as that if we as a community wanted to, that the mechanisms were already there. Yeah. Again, if the cancer center wants to say, hey, this is a new day that research matters, not just prevention, but that research matters and survivorship is our goal, that, that, that really, again, the NFL won't stop that they can't get in the way if, if their marketing partner won. <laughs> and that's why we had a, in 2013, we had two lung cancer games, one with the Green Bay Packers on Monday night and the other one with the Tennessee Titans. And it was really just because their marketing partner said, this is what we want. And the NFL people were like, cool, you paid your money. <laughs> well, I'm so glad that they step up and all of us need to, right? It's just rising to another level. I, and I mean this in all ages, you know, that's the thing. What would you want us to do from an education standpoint to the young kids, getting the message out to them at an early age? If you want to speak right now to principals, superintendents, and to teachers. Again, any anyone can get lung cancer. I mean, I, I don't want to dissuade them from talking about people not smoking either. That's critical. We, we, we've got to continue to do that, but not just from a lung cancer perspective. You know, that's the best thing you can do in terms of health overall. So getting people to stop smoking is a benefit uh, for, you know, for across the board. The other one is still, we need to focus on air quality. We need to focus on uh, environmental things around it. But the other part is realize that we need to fight for survivorship. So don't blame someone that is diagnosed with lung cancer. Realize that anyone can get it. And again, be willing to stand with them. And then the other one that says there is hope. Yeah. There is hope. The hope is the one thing that we all want in life, right? If you just completely give up and someone else has to be the hope for you, the community that you surround yourself with, the family, the friends, you know, obviously when Keisha was diagnosed, if she had to go at it alone, just think about how hard that fight would be if you had the support system of Chris and her family. Absolutely. I mean, that's one of the things that I, I think about. I, I easily could say that I had, you know, or we had privilege 
and just leave it at that rather than realizing how amazing it was that my wife had a relationship with her primary care doc, uh, that that primary care doc really quarterbacked and took the lead and, and, and handed us off over to the uh, cancer center that we were at a cancer center that believed in, in the hope that exists now at that time. So they tested us for, you know, for uh, tested my wife for biomarkers that, you know, is the key to the fact that right now lung cancer has had more drugs approved in the last six years than any other cancer. So absolutely hope. Uh, in 2011, the National Lung Cancer Screening Trial was approved. And, and again, there are groups that are just now accepting those things, unfortunately, mm -hmm. versus people that right from the beginning, as soon as it was approved, knew that these were opportunities to save lives. And so I would say we didn't have to fight against those things as much as we just had to fight against, as you said, the mindset. Yeah. Uh, so my wife had to be able to to accept that she had lung cancer and and then be able to live each day. And I tell people all the time that she stayed faithful each day, found a way to smile each day and be thankful every day. And that, that seems like, okay, Chris, I hear you. No, it's real. 37 years old and, uh, and basically every day, almost all these dreams that you've had being stripped away, stripped away, stripped away, stripped away. And for her to find a way to smile and, and, and be be thankful and faithful is absolutely amazing. Uh, and then, and then, as I said before, our wedding to be able to choose to fight for the community again, recognizing that it takes a team. So it was always going to be bigger than her. You know, so when somebody says, "Well, how does that work?" and it's like, well, she recognized that it's not her. It's not about her. It's bigger than her. So if she stands up and family and friends stand up, we're only standing up with a community that has to be ongoing, that has to be present all the time. And we're bigger together. We're bigger together, Absolutely. right? It's it's the community together. That's the message is what can we do? And he keeps saying anybody at any point. I love the fact that you talked about the biomarkers. Should we have more testing to say, you know, and we've talked in the past about Alzheimer's, that there are tests out there, dementia of saying, yes, well, this is within your cells. Uh, you know, we, we look at parents and grandparents. There's a reason why we do family history. It's all education. It's all knowing. Do you think the American Cancer Society is committed to the disease? Uh, so absolutely, they're they're committed to it. But the, but what I was given is that historically they were committed to to lung cancer, but what you saw was only the prevention side. And so as they've changed, you're actually able to see that survivorship has been a focus. But but that is because of advocacy, right? And so. Uh, as advocates, we need to challenge from Barnes Jewish there in Seattle, uh, in, in, in St. Louis to mm -hmm. to Mercy to those other ones to make it clear that survivorship is the goal. Uh, to make sure that there's lung cancer screening for the people that can benefit from. Make sure that biomarker testing happens. That is critical to to you know having the appropriate treatment. That that happens right away. That the people don't have to ask for it. They don't have to fight for it because it is necessary. And then the other one of just understanding that if we want things to change, that research is how we 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 get to a better diagnostic at early, you know, for early detection. Research is how we get better treatments. Research is how we understand and meet people where they're at and, and diagnosed and help them go through their journey better. And it's with the, you know, the, uh, you know, understanding that research and doing something about it 
uh, and making sure that everyone can benefit from it is what advocacy is about. Well, and you talked about education and research, and, and you just mentioned in St. Louis, we are blessed, and I can't say that enough. We are blessed here in St. Louis, Barnes Jewish, you know, and, and then the multiple site men and the multiple kind of satellites locations that opened up from everybody used to just call it big barns, but now we're lucky, you know, South County, and it just keeps spreading. And then the education standpoint of St. Louis University, Washington University, and what you, and even, you know, donation aspect of money that you give and walks that you do and the climb, um, you know, the, the, the stairs that everybody climbs and everything that you're doing, going back to raise money for research. And if it's found here, how it's money that's used here that's spread all across the world. I mean, that's the thing that, or if you're raising money elsewhere, and I know a lot of you are watching in other states, the money you raise there helps each and every person in the research standpoint. My wife had tremendous faith. And so uh, it's the same thing with me, uh, that I have to be be faithful and, and realize that I'm here. And that's a blessing. You know, as much as I, you know, I didn't want her to pass, I'm still here. Uh, but I'll, I'll say in terms of advocacy, I had to be very honest after she passed about three things. And that was, one, can I accept that nothing that I do, you know, this interview right here or anything else, nothing will bring her back. All right. Number two, can I be happy for people that are doing well based on new innovation? Can I be happy about that? You know, can I, can I, you know, can I celebrate it? And then the other one, am I willing to fight for people so that they can benefit, they can benefit from all the innovation that has happened. And so that was, that's what's been critical in, in moving forward of, again, really accepting that she's not coming back, uh, appreciating her life, appreciating what she stood for and giving her credit. Uh, making sure people don't just see her as a dancer, but realize she's an electrical engineer. Uh, went to high school only three years. Went the, you know, graduated from Clemson. This uh, amazingly intelligent woman that was able to be focused and accept her, her disease and, and had cultivated a group of family and friends before her diagnosis that stood with her during the diagnosis. And then at that point where she had a choice, what did she do? But she chose to stand up and fight for other people. And again, she was in a wheelchair. So somebody says, well, how can she do it in a wheelchair? It's because she knew that this is not an individual battle. This is a team battle. This is a community battle. And it requires all of us to be able to stand up and play our position. Again, I'm a, I'm a former NFL player. You don't have to be me. All you have to do is be you because I'm not enough even with all my connections with the NFL and all over the place, uh, it doesn't matter. I am not enough. It takes all of us working together as a team to get it done. Absolutely. Can you talk about fundraising for lung cancer research and the disparities in funding? Well, I, I, again, I'll say this. There are disparities, but that really comes back to our historic message. The historic message was just prevention. We asked people only to get people to stop smoking. We asked people to work on air quality. We asked people to just uh, work on workplace conditions. And so the funding will change. It, it will, will absolutely change as we make it clear every day that research matters and that we challenge our cancer centers that well, Barnes Jewish there, Seidman Cancer Center, they were a part, when we talk about the hope of biomarker testing, yes. that comes from the Human Genome Project where 
where Siteman was one of the, the four sites that really were critical in the Human Genome Project. So their work is felt all over the world right there in St. Louis. And so if we don't talk about it, if we don't say it, then that's why our numbers have been low. But then the other side of it is if we don't celebrate the fact that we've had more drugs approved in the last six years, it says that even though our numbers are low, that we're actually getting more. So our uh, rate of return of sorts has been higher in the lung cancer community, definitely has to be better. Uh, we, you know, our, our numbers were low and we've got to you know, ramp these things up. But it really just comes down to saying research matters, not just me saying it, not just our survivors saying it, but all our cancer centers saying. It. And that's actually one of the things that we're going to be talking about at the Super Bowl this year is a challenge to all these cancer centers for them to stand up and say it, not wait for Lung Cancer Awareness Month. This is a now battle. This is a now challenge that we need to say the research matters now. It matters in January, February, March, April, May, all the way every month because if somebody is fighting against it, it, it is not about an awareness month. It is about that their awareness month is this month. I love it. Movement. Again, it's immediacy. It's not waiting around. You know, you've heard me say so much to be present, to be focused. What can we do? Get out of your own way. As we mentioned earlier in the show, realize that you can make an impact. Just ask, educate yourself, research, listen to positive shows like this, where you are able to see how you can actually change. Um, I know earlier, and I told Chris, I would come back to the comment because obviously we talked a little bit uh, about his time at the Rams. Do you have any thoughts on the upcoming draft and any thoughts just to kind of bring it home here on uh, running back Cody Schrader? I mean, what an incredible story that has been with Mizzou. Can't wait to see him play more in the pros. Any comments on that? Well, I, I would say that Mizzou, if I'm, I'm just going to stay in a Missouri frame of mind, that uh, they had an amazing, uh, amazing season yes. and, and really um, crept up on a lot of people. And I think it speaks to the idea that there is an expectation that you go in the season with. Uh, and that's for people on the outside. Uh, but what really matters is what you believe in as a team. And so I have a, a couple of my former teammates, one from Stanford and another one from the Carolina Panthers, that their sons actually are playing uh, on that team. And I was able to shoot them some messages and say how impressed I was, was with Missouri. Again, they're not one of those glamorous teams right. in terms of, uh, of the country. But what does that matter? When you get on the field and you commit to getting something done as a team, uh, I mean, that's what they did all, you know, all year playing with a bunch of people doubting them and they just came and brought it. <laughs> that's right. And, and when people don't believe in you, you have to believe in yourself. It's that whole thing. You know, one of the messages I want to get across as we wrap up, Chris, and you know it better than anyone. Can you please get the message across to people about getting out of the bickering and the fighting and the small little things of life and going off on their spouse or their children or their parents or whatever, and appreciating the every single millimeter of a second that we have in life and how quickly it all can be taken away because this man knows better than anyone. Yeah, I think you have to be intentional. You have to be intentional about it. And, uh, you know, in, in the world right now, you have to watch what you what you bring in. So a lot of times social media will get you into these conversations and and the people want these big, uh, you know, big discussions where it's us against them mm -hmm. uh, versus, you know, you, you get it. You got to watch what you bring in and, and and make sure that you take time to really appreciate where you stand. 
right? And know that that's you as, as, as an individual. You have to love your yourself <laughs> and, and not hate on yourself. I mean, so uh, I guess with, with everyone out there, the same thing I would say to, uh, to lung cancer survivors is that's what people think. They say, oh, you know, you're just a lung cancer advocate. I said, no, I'm a people advocate. So the same thing I'll say to our, our survivors is the same thing I'm going to say to all of you. You matter. You matter. You're unique. You're special. You matter. You're not alone. You have your unique individual journey, but you're not alone. And there's hope, not just in lung cancer. There's hope in this world. So many things have changed. So many things have gotten better, regardless of what you see. You are a beautiful human being, my friend. You are a beautiful human being. I love what you're doing. I did ask Chris before we went on this morning, the last time you've been, you haven't been to St. Louis in what, a couple of years? Couple of years, couple of years. Any yeah. plans to come back anytime soon? I'm, I'm hoping to come back here. You know, probably in the next month, I'll, I'll probably be back there. Uh, well, but again, that's you know, when we're talking about a challenge uh, of getting people to stand up and say that lung cancer research matters. I mean, what better place than in St. Louis? Again, that we're a part of the uh, you know of the Human Genome Project. Research absolutely matters, and because of the work that is there, uh, so many people are benefiting all over the world. Absolutely. Well, you are welcome to come and I'd love to have you in our studio. Like I said, Mike Jones and I have been trying to get him in studio for a while. <laughs> Isaac and I have been talking. I'd love to visit and revisit our old days together. And again, just anything that I and my community can do for you, you've got my number. You reach out any point because I want to do this together. I want awesome. to be a help to, to change the world together with you. Thank you, Monica. Thank you. All right, everybody, you know how I end it. To each and every one of you, I wish you God's blessings. I want you to go out in the world. I want you to bundle up, stay warm, and be safe, and realize that you do matter, like me and Chris said. But before anything in the world, before you do anything, as you meet each and every one of the people that you come in contact with, please do one thing, and that is to be kind. God bless you. Thank you again for tuning in to another episode of The Real Monica Adams Show. And I hope that you take just one thing from today's show. Remember, it's small changes that amount to the large ones that you've been seeking in your life. If you've been suffering from mental health, depression, anxiety, fear, PTSD, you have to start small. But I'm giving you the tools on my show each and every day, again, on Facebook and YouTube, and then listening to the message on this audio podcast platform. If there's a show you would like for me to do, a particular topic, do me a favor, shoot me an email, info at therealmonicaadams.com, and I will take care of that for you. Thank you again for tuning in today, and we will see you very soon. Mm -hmm.